Well, I would uh, encourage you to open your Bibles once again and turn with me in your Bible as I turn in mine now to 2 Corinthians. We were in 2 Chronicles for our scripture reading. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, for the text for the message this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the 10th chapter of Paul's second letter, actually, as I'll mention hopefully a little bit later, his third letter to the church at Corinth. One of them is no longer in existence, but uh, this is the second letter that we have uh, recorded for us that is in God's Word handed down to us. Second Corinthians chapter 10. And I'll tell you before we even get started here this morning that uh, uh, I have thoroughly been enjoying the new Bible that the church was pleased to give me some weeks back. I've been reading in it daily, and uh, I have not yet preached from it for the simple reason that uh, the pages are a little hard for me to turn. Uh, They're uh, wonderful, wonderful pages, the quality and all, but they're a little bit difficult for me to uh, get the pages turned. So you will have the opportunity to to follow along as I give scripture references through uh, throughout the message this morning and probably get there before I do. <laughs> so bear with me if you would. But uh, we're going to be here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. Uh, I've entitled the message this morning, The War We Are In. The War We Are In. And I hope this morning that God will impress upon our hearts what this title to the message implies, that we are in a war. We are in a war. Uh, The Scripture makes that very clear, as I hope that we'll see and understand as we look together at God's Word this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to read, if I could, verses 3 through 5 for our text. Here, uh, the 10th chapter of 2 Corinthians. So you follow along. Now, as I read, beginning with verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that raised up every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This three verses that I just read, God moved upon my heart many years ago to commit to memory. But as with most of the Scripture that I've committed to memory, uh, it all comes back to me in the words of our authorized or King James Version, uh, where we read there in the King James the words of the Apostle Paul saying, uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, uh, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This passage is often upon my heart and in my thoughts, but more so perhaps in these past few months and perhaps uh, even beyond that than maybe in days gone by previous to these most recent days because of what's going on around us in the world and right here in this nation and perhaps even in our own community as we were reminded this morning the need to pray for some young people here in this community who many of their number have suffered some tragic, tragic things in the past few weeks and undoubtedly all of it as as a result if not directly, indirectly, a result of God's people's failure to realize that we are in a battle, a war that is raging 
around us every day. Every day. And we're soldiers. Every one of us. We are soldiers of the cross. Soldiers of the cross. I was thinking these past few days about this very thing and my lack of faithfulness to be what I believe God has called me to be as a child of God and as a soldier in, in the army of Christ. My complacency, my indifferent in years, indifference in years gone by and my lack of commitment and faithfulness. And the last hymn that we sang came to my mind as well. And you sang this, I know you did, but perhaps sometimes you do like me, you sing these hymns without really thinking about the words. Let me read the words to this great hymn by Isaac Watts that we just sang a few moments ago. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own His name or blush to speak His name? Fear to, fear to own His cause or blush to speak His name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain. Supported by your word. I pray that God will impress upon us this morning that every child of God has a responsibility to stand up for Christ. Regardless of the foe. Regardless of the onslaught, regardless of the persecution, regardless of the deceptions, regardless of the lies, regardless of all of the garbage that's being hurled at us and thrown in our face, we must stand for the truth. The truth. May God help us. Pray with me, would you? Father, we bow in your presence this morning to give thanks for your word. And oh God, to pray that you might be pleased to convict us and convince us and draw us close and make us desirable of being an instrument in your hands, a tool that you might use to bring honor and glory to your holy name. Help us, Lord. We need you so. Strengthen us. Oh, the Apostle Paul once prayed for the folks at Ephesus that they might be strengthened with might by your Spirit in the inner man. Oh, God, grant us that this morning. Strengthen us with might by your Spirit in our inner man. We need you, Lord. We need you create within us a boldness and a courage and a determination to stand upon the word of God and to stand for the truth and to declare it in the face of adversity, regardless of what that consists of. Lord, help us. Help us to be faithful. Speak to our hearts this morning, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. Well, our text this morning is from 2 Corinthians, as we've already indicated and as we've read from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, as I mentioned a few moments ago, I've, I've been thinking about these verses a lot this week. I go to bed of a night thinking about them. It seems like I get up of a morning thinking about them. Throughout the day, I've thought about them. These words that the Lord directed me to commit to memory so many years ago. And just what they mean. What they mean to me today. What they ought to mean to me today. And what a difference it ought to make in my life as a child of God. And I begin to think about what we're facing. What we're seeing in this nation today. Not just in the world about us. 
But sadly, what we're seeing and what we're facing in the midst of a church, a professing church, that claims to be following the Lord Jesus. I am shocked. I ought not to be, I suppose, but I am. I'm shocked by some of the things that I'm seeing. Some of the things that I'm hearing. Justin and his family were over yesterday and Justin cast up on the TV from YouTube or something a so-called preacher. A woman. <laughs> that, that in and of itself should shock one who be, believes the Word of God. But even worse than that was the attitude, the uh, the whole approach that she called preaching. What a disgrace. What a crying shame. And there's undoubtedly, we, although we couldn't see it on the TV, undoubtedly a lot of people there listening to it. God help us. God be merciful to us. God be gracious and merciful and help us. Paul was writing to a church that God enabled him to establish on his third missionary journey. And he cared for them. Maybe it was earlier. Maybe it wasn't his third missionary journey. Maybe it was on his third missionary journey that he was writing to them. I believe that's what it was. But he had a burden for them and a concern for them. And uh, they were perhaps of all the churches that the Apostle Paul was blessed to establish. Uh, the one that seems to have had apparently the most difficulties and problems in being faithful to the Lord. But I begin to think about the Corinthian church and as I begin to think about them and all, I begin to see a clear picture of what we're facing today. Some of the same things. Some of the very same things. Let's take a look at the context for just a few moments uh, of that within which we find the verses I read for our text this morning. And the context is rather broad because we really need to go back to 1 Corinthians for just a moment uh, as we begin to consider the context in which our text is found this morning. So turn with me back to 1 Corinthians, if you would, for just a moment. The first chapter to begin with, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Let me just share with you, if I could, some verses that begin to give us an idea of what the Corinthian church was like. They were uh, at times very ungodly, uh, wrapped up in things that uh, were far from what a church ought to be, uh, involved in things that uh, they ought not to be involved in, doing things, saying things, thinking things that were not right for God's people. But listen to some of the things that uh, Paul points out as he writes uh, to these folks in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Sound familiar? Divisions in the professing church? Quarrels in the professing church? We're seeing it, are we not? We're seeing it. Church is divided. Looking at things differently, which in and of itself may not be altogether bad, but the way of dealing with it, the way of handling it, the way of approaching it. So sad. The divisions and the controversies and, and all that's taking place in the church today. Those who are followers are preachers rather than followers of Christ. 
Turn with me now to the third chapter. Chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. We learn a little bit more of the things that concerned the Apostle Paul and burdened him in Corinth. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. These were professing Christians, by the way. Professing Christians, believers, those who had trusted in the Lord Jesus, who were to be spiritual people as a result of that. But Paul is saying to them, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? See, so much of this very thing in the professing church today. Carnality. Carnality. Living no differently than the world around them. All fleshly. All of the flesh. Hardly any evidence of spiritual life, true spiritual life, in many who profess to be Christians today. The world looks at them and thinks, what's the point? What's the point? They're no different than me. How sad. Paul was burdened about this. He was concerned about this. Look a little further to the fifth chapter. If that's not enough to alarm you, look in the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 1 down through verse 2. For Paul says, as he writes to them, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one you had done this deed wouldn't be removed from your midst. Not only was there such gross immorality as what Paul writes about here in the church, but they were condoning it. It was okay. We hear of anything like that today? Churches that are okay with homosexual marriages? Churches that are okay with this transgender, transgender nonsense? Garbage? Churches! condoning this, not standing up and saying, now wait a minute, this is sin in the eyes of God. We see it. We see it, do we not? Well, Paul is in Ephesus and unable because of the ministry that God has given him there for a lengthy time, unable to go himself uh, to Corinth as he really would like to have done, where he could talk with him face to face. But he wasn't able to go at this point. He planned to go, but he sent ahead of himself Titus and another uh, brother, the Scripture says, who is not named, but uh, a brother, he said, that was highly respected of the church that some think was probably Luke. But he sent Titus ahead, and Titus had sent word back that things had improved. Things had improved. And this relieved the Apostle Paul to some degree. But there was another problem that had arisen. And we find that in chapter 10 of our of 2 Corinthians, as Paul is writing just previous to our text here this morning. Look at this with me as we see what Paul is now burdened and concerned with at Corinth. Verse 1 of chapter 10, he says, Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to to the flesh. 
there were those who had arisen. Perhaps they had uh, appointed themselves. I don't know. But there were some who had arisen uh, in the leadership at the church at Corinth that uh, evidently was had, had bad-mouthed the Apostle Paul to a great extent, claiming that he wasn't really an apostle. He wasn't really an apostle. <laughs> and... Uh, and, and claiming, well, he, he just walks according to the flesh. Isn't that what the Scripture said there? They regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Well, the Apostle Paul realized who and what these folks really were. The false apostles that they were. The false proclaimers of the gospel. And he talks about that a little bit later in the 11th chapter here, verses 12 through 15, if you'd care to look at that with me. He says, But what I'm doing I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. This is where we find our text this morning. This is the context in which these next few words are written. To these folks at Corinth. Let me read it again if I could. Our text this morning. For though we walk in the flesh. What was he accused of? Walked of accused of walking. Uh, according to the flesh. Paul says. For though we walk in the flesh. And by this he means. Just like all of us. We are living in the flesh right now. Physically are we not? We are walking in the flesh. We are walking physically in our physical bodies, in our physical being. And that's what Paul means here when he says, uh, for though we walk in the flesh. But very quickly then he says, for we, we do not war according to the flesh. And for he, when he speaks of not warring according to the flesh here, he is not talking about the physical aspect of things he's talking about spiritual life spiritual life being a christian being a child of god and 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 what that implies that we live our lives spiritually with the spiritual aspect of our lives priority number 1 above and beyond everything else Paul says we do not war we do not live spiritually we do not live as Christians, according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, that which God has blessed us with and given us for the living of the Christian life. That's what he means by the weapons of our warfare. The weapons of our Christian life. That which God has blessed us with in the living before Him as His children. They are not of the flesh. They are not of the flesh. But divinely powerful. King James said what? Mighty through God. Divinely powerful. For the destruction of fortresses. Or the, the uh, overcoming of strongholds. Strongholds. By that, I think the implication is to is these false prophets that were there who were doing exactly what Satan was instructing them to do, being probably possessed of demons, talking about spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly but divinely powerful for the destruction of these fortresses or these strongholds. We are destroying speculations or casting down imaginations as the King James says. And that's a good word. That's not a word, bad word what the King James translates as imaginations. 
We find it way back in the book of Genesis, don't we? When God looked down upon man in their sin, and what did he say? God saw that every imagination of the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil continually before him. Paul is talking about casting down the weapons of our warfare being divine weapons. They are being divine powerful, not only for the destruction of these strongholds of these fortresses, but also for the destroying of the speculations or imaginations and every lofty thing that is raised up or exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Here he's talking about the wisdom of the world that these false apostles are proclaiming their message with. Not the wisdom of God. Paul talked about that in the first chapter, or first letter that he wrote to the Corinthians when he talks about the wisdom of the world is made foolish by the wisdom of God. Made foolish by the wisdom of God. And so Paul is saying, the weapons of our warfare, they're not of the flesh. They're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, for the destroying of speculations, and every lofty thing that would lift itself up or exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And then he adds... And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If you recall, the reason this is so essential, this bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, is because, as the writer in Proverbs tells us, uh, that we're to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it of all are all the issues of life, and as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So is he. It's as we think in our heart, uh, the thoughts of our heart, what motivate us to do the things we do, to say the things we say. And so every thought must be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. If it's not according to the will of God, if it's not something that will honor God, such thoughts need to be put away from us. Now, there are times we can't help for the thoughts entering into our minds, but we can help dwelling on them, can't we? We can help acting upon them or not acting upon them. These thoughts need to be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ so that our lives would honor Him. Honor Him. Well, I entitled the message this morning, This War We Are In. Make no mistake about it, folks. Make no mistake about it. We are in a war. Paul made that quite clear, did he not, here in our text? And he says, the weapons of our warfare, our warfare, are not of the flesh. We don't war after the flesh. We are in a war, a battle. The moment we enter this world, the moment we enter into this world, even as an infant, the moment we do so, we are set upon the field of battle. Now the battle to begin with, for every one of us, pits us against God. We're not on God's side when we come into this world. Don't fool yourself. Don't let anybody else fool you into believing and thinking that when you come into this world, you're, you're innocent because you're not. You're not. We come into this world sinful, do we not? We're born into this world sinners. Hearts that are at odds with God. How does Paul describe it? In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, the carnal mind or the mind of the flesh is what? King James says enmity. A more accurate translation is hostile to God, at war with God. 
That's looking at it from one side. There's another side to that. Not only are we at war with God, but God is at war with us. Whew. Think about it. Think about what it means to have God. Almighty God. Almighty, holy God at war against you. Think about what that means. You can't win that war. You cannot come out the victor in such a war. And yet man in his foolishness thinks he can. Well, he just put God out of mind. I'll just put God out of mind. The fool, the psalmist tells us, has said in his heart, there is no God. Foolishness. Foolishness. And that's exactly what Paul describes in Romans chapter 1, is it not? God made Himself known in creation. His eternal power and Godhead clearly revealed in the things that He created. And in that sense, men knew God existed. Well, what did they do? Cast Him aside. Cast Him aside. Refusing to honor Him. Refusing to give Him the glory He deserved. Basically saying, as the psalmist said in Psalm 14, there's no God. We'll make our own gods. We'll worship those things that we want to worship. And they did so. And they continue to do so today. When we come into this world, we set foot on the field of battle. The field of battle. Sin and its dominion over us when we come into this world because we came into this world having inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve, a sinful nature that alienates us from God and pits us against God to the point that we are actually hostile toward God, as Paul says, and establishes us as such. I was thinking about this in light of the message that God has laid upon my heart and popped into my mind a song that I heard years ago sung by a Southern Gospel Quartet. And there's just very few of the words that I remember. And there's probably a reason for that because probably most of the words weren't too good, weren't too honoring of the Lord. But this part I think they had right, whoever wrote the song. When he said, it's a battleground, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. So run if you want to. Run if you will. But I came here to stay. May God make it so in my life. May I plant my feet solidly upon the rock that's higher than I. And stand firmly for the truth. Oh, it won't be easy. Danger on every hand. Lurking around every obstacle. There's the enemy. It's a battleground. It's not a recreation room. Oh, but you flip on the TV today and listen to some of these so-called preachers and the garbage that's spilling out of their mouths. And it's nothing but a recreation room. It's all it is. It's a game. It's a game. It's look at me. Look at me. Oh, yes, look at you. <laughs> and we clap. And we dance. And we're thrilled at what we see and what we hear. And none of it comes from God. None of it. James wrote, in the fourth chapter of James, in verse 4, he says, You adulteresses. You adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility? toward God. 
To be entangled with the world is hostility toward God. Oh, how careful, folks. We've got to be. How careful. We've got to be. Second Corinthians, this same letter, where we find our text this morning, if we go back to chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Second Corinthians. We find some words that are sobering that every one of us have got to take to heart. We've got to take it to heart. Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 6, Do not be bound together. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean. And I'll welcome you and I'll be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And then Paul goes on to say, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Paul warns us as believers, as Christians, to be careful. We are in the world. Jesus said that. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not of the world. Let us not compromise. Let us not be guilty of giving in, giving way. But stand firm. Doesn't mean we can't have friendships. There's a difference between having friendships and being at friendship with the world. How careful we must be to guard our hearts, to guard our hearts. Friendship with the world is hostility toward God. And that's the way we come into this world. That's the way we come into this world. That's where, what happens when we enter this war. That's where we are. Oh, but the grace of God. But God. As Paul says in Ephesians, but God. In rich grace and mercy. Oh, even when we were estranged, even when we were at enmity to Him, God intervened. God's great undeserved grace reaches down, touches us, gives us a new heart to see, to understand, to know, to believe, to trust in Christ. And at that moment, our loyalty changes. Our loyalty changes. We're not on the same side anymore as we once were. We're no longer on the side of those whose hearts are hostile toward God. Now we're in friendship with God. What was it Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're reconciled to God. We're no longer estranged. We're no longer at war with God. God is no longer at war with us. We're children of God. We're part of God's family. And we're here to be faithful to the truth and to proclaim the only message that will bring the grace of God to those around us whose hearts are still hostile toward God, even though they may not understand it, even though they may not realize it. Nevertheless, it's true. And we are here. We are here to take our place on the front lines 
of the battle and proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Oh, that precious eighth chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. We could spend a lot of time there this morning, but we'll not do that. We'll not do that. We'll go on. Now our war is not with God. And God is not at war with us. Now our war is with demonic power. Our war is with the world. Our war is with this flesh that Paul is talking about. That we have such a hard time shaking off, being rid of. Just clings to us, doesn't it? Just clings to us tenaciously. We all struggle with it. We all struggle with it. But Paul says the weapons that God has given us to live this Christian life, weapons of our warfare, they are not fleshly. They're not of the flesh, but they're of God. They're of God. And God has given them to every one of His children. Every one of us. Every one of us, without exception, have been given these same weapons of warfare to resist these demonic powers. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 6, a passage of Scripture that most of you are quite familiar with, but let's look at it quickly. Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 10 he says, Finally, finally be strong in the Lord. Right there's a key, isn't it? Is it not? We're not to be strong in ourselves. As Paul would say on another occasion, the flesh doesn't profit anything. There's no profit, there's no benefit, there's no help from the flesh in this war in which God has placed us. If anything, the flesh is going to just, it's just going to get us defeated. <laughs> so be strong in the Lord, Paul says, and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God. Now then, I didn't go back and check before this morning, but I suspect that the verb here, when it says put on the whole armor of God, I suspect that in the Greek is in the present tense, which means that we're to put it on and we're to keep putting it on. It's not just something we do once. It's something that we must constantly be putting on the whole armor of God. And to do that, we've got to shed what we're presently wearing when we don't have it on. We need to be rid of it. The fleshly attire. There are portions of God's Word where the apostle in writing about this says, put off the old man, put on the new. What is the old man? That's the flesh. What is the new? That's Christ. That's Christ. And as we read what Paul is talking about here in this sixth chapter of Ephesians, every piece of this armor, every bit of this armor is just Christ. It's just Christ. Listen to this. Put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. I tell you what, he's got plenty of them, doesn't he? He's got lots of schemes. He's got lots of schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That tells us right there why, why, why we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We don't have what it takes without it to fight a battle like this. We don't have what it takes. 
Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth. Where do we find the truth? One place and one place only. In He who is the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. I'm the life. We're to have our loins girt with the truth. We're to have Christ. We're to have Christ. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness is he talking about here? Can't be mine because as the prophet Isaiah recorded, all my righteousness is nothing but filthy rags in God's eyes. So it's got to be a righteousness, not mine. It's the righteousness that we learned about in the fourth chapter of Romans where Abraham learned it so long ago when he believed God and righteousness was put to his account. Oh, the New Testament many times tells us that Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that's Christ. That's Christ. The gospel is Christ. Peace is found in Christ alone. In addition to all, taking the shield of faith. Where do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Not just the written Word of God, by the way. Because the written Word of God cannot be separated from the living Word of God. And who is that? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him. That's Christ. The Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The shield of faith. The shield of faith. Whereby we will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. He is our salvation. He is our salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with all prayer and petition at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all saints. Prayer, the word of God and prayer. The weapons of our warfare against demonic powers. Those under the influence of Satan. Those that do not belong to the Lord. The world. The world. Our war is not only with demonic forces, but our war is with the world. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Now what he said in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, I believe it is. If the world hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And they do, don't they? And we're seeing it more and more every day. More and more every day. This world hates Christ, hates God, and any who belong to Him. They hate us. And that hatred is beginning to be more and more transparent. <laughs> we see it more every day, don't we? We hear about it more every day. The world. Oh, but then, there's another enemy that we fight against. Perhaps the most dangerous of all. And that's our own old, selfish, fleshly self. The Apostle Paul gives us his testimony about it in Romans chapter 7. We'll not take time to turn there this morning as we're already getting close to needing to wrap this up. But we know, every one of us, we battle with the flesh every day of our lives. Every day of our lives. Paul says... In me and my flesh dwells no good thing. He says, when I would do good, I find another law in my members warring against me, warring against me. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 that we're to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. They war against the soul. 
We could turn to Paul's letter to the Galatians and he'd say, the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit. So walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Not in the flesh. Only as we walk in the spirit are we correctly fighting this war that we're all a part of. John Owen once said, you will be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We need to think about that. We need to think about that. This battle that we're waging, this war that we're in, is a war against sin. All that opposes God, all that opposes what is right in God's eyes, and that's everything apart from what God has done and is doing in the hearts and lives of His children. It's a battleground, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. So run if you want to. Run if you will. But God's people have got to be here to stay. We've got to take a stand. We've got to take a stand. Plant our feet firmly upon the rock which is Christ. And pray for boldness and courage, regardless of what comes our way, to stand firm. To stand firm. As the Apostle Paul was beginning to wrap up his first letter to the Corinthians in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, we come to the very conclusion of this 15th chapter. And Paul says in verse 57, Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, which gives us the victory. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, therefore, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. <clears throat> This is where we are. This is where we got to stand for the glory of God. For the glory of God and for the furtherance of His kingdom. This is where we are. This is the war that we are in. Thank God that Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? The victory is ours. The victory is ours. Let's pray.